I'm Amber Harper from the Burned In Teacher Podcast and a part of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to now. Shows on the network are individually owned and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other interesting education podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back. Steve here. And today I'm talking with Dr. Daniel H. Shapiro. He's the author of The Five Practices of the Caring Mentor, Strengthening the Mentoring Relationship from the Inside Out, published in 2019. Awesome book. Easy to read. Lots to learn. You're going to love this one. Thanks for listening. By the way, don't forget, subscribe and share. (laughs) Enjoy. Take care now. You are listening to Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a podcast for educators, helping you help kids achieve their dreams. And now here's Steve with this week's show. Dr. Daniel H. Shapiro has served for over 20 years as a teacher, school counselor, mentor, and district leader in the Broward County Public Schools in Florida. He received National Board Teacher Certification in Early Adolescence English Language Arts in 2006, earned his master's degree in school counseling in 2009, and received a doctoral degree in education with a specialization in instructional leadership in 2012. His doctoral dissertation was entitled, An Exploration of the Role of Caring and Teacher-Mentoring Relationships. During his career, Dr. Shapiro received the Florida Governor's Shine Award for Inspirational Teaching. He was named a Broward County Public Schools 2014 Caliber Award winner and the 2015 Florida School Counselor Association, FSCA, Elementary School Counselor of the Year. He is now a school counseling specialist and provides mentoring and professional development to school counselors within the Broward County School District. He also serves as an adjunct professor of school counseling at Nova Southeastern University. Dr. Shapiro is the author of The Five Practices of the Caring Mentor, Strengthening the Mentoring Relationship from the Inside Out. He offers workshops on a variety of topics, is a keynote speaker, and provides individual mentoring sessions. Dr. Shapiro lives with his wife and two children in South Florida. Daniel, thanks for joining me today. Say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Well, it's great to have you here, Daniel. And uh, let's start right off the bat and get into the five practices of a caring mentor. You know, in the preface, you say, what mean the most to me are the moments of genuine presence, the opportunities to make meaningful differences, and the wholehearted devotion to those I love, work with, and care for. I believe that every human being has unique gifts and abilities they can share. Could you talk a little bit about what you mean? Yeah, thank you. I think there's four parts to that. And the first one is genuine presence, which I think is the foundation for everything. And after college, I was starting to kind of ask myself some of the big questions. What is love? What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of my life? So I traveled, went to some different meditation retreats and studied different philosophies. And when I returned, this was about a month long trip. I felt this sense of comfort being home, more comfort than usual. And at first I thought that the comfort was from being in my physical house. And then I, as I started walking around and going other places, I noticed that that feeling was sticking with me and it was other places too. And I realized that feeling was inside of me. And that's where I learned the idea of coming home to myself. So I always start my teaching and my work with mentors with coming home to myself and helping others to come home to their, themselves. So one of the ways I do that is we'll close our eyes, we'll tune into that felt sense of being, that felt sense of presence, where you're aware of yourself, your feelings, your thoughts, and that's a home base. And we can function from that consciousness and that awakeness rather than things. So 
uh, I always start there. And then the next part of that is the meaningful difference in someone's life. And that goes into why we're doing what we're doing, the deeper purpose for why we're doing what we're doing. And a quick story is that one of the things I do to um, unwind after the week is I take long walks on the weekend. And there's a lake by my house. And I love to walk around that lake. So one morning, the sun's coming up and it's a quiet morning out there. And I noticed these two birds. And one of the birds is this tiny little bird about the size of the palm of my hand. And the other one is a hawk. And down here in South Florida, we have these predators with these big hawks with a, a massive chest and big wingspan and talons. And I noticed that this little bird is just pecking at the hawk. And I kind of look over my shoulder like, what? You know, this little bird is so tiny and it's, it's pestering the hawk and the hawk is moving away from it. Um, so this continues and the little bird chases the hawk up to a pine tree and the hawk perches on the pine tree and the, the little bird's just flitting up to it, catching up to it. It starts pecking at it at the top of the pine tree and actually knocks it off. So the, the hawk swoops across the lake to another pine tree. Again, this big massive chest and claws and wingspan. And it took a while, but that little bird's just going and going and going, goes back up to the pine tree, pecks at it, pesters it, knocks it off again. And then the hawk just flew out of sight. So I'm looking around like, you know, did anybody see this? Like, this is incredible. This little bird just dominated a hawk that must have been five times its size. And just as I'm reflecting on that, I hear up above my left shoulder this tweet, tweet, tweet. And I look up and I realize there's a bird's nest and it's filled with babies and it was in that moment I realized that the little bird was the mama bird and she was protecting her babies and she was absolutely unstoppable. There was no force on this earth that was going to prevent her from taking care of those babies and protecting her, protecting them. And I realized then that it's clarity of purpose that gives us strength. It's clarity of purpose that helps us overcome barriers. And just like the mama bird, when we've got real clarity in who we are and what we're trying to accomplish, we can become unstoppable too. So that's the area of making a difference is really knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And As, yeah, I'm sorry. That's just so cool. That's awesome. <laughs> I love this story. So I'm sorry to interrupt. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, nah, thank you, Steve. And then the wholeheartedness is where you're giving the fullness of yourself to other people. So as we discover ourselves, our genuine presence, as we discover our why and our deeper purpose, then we can go full speed ahead and just wholeheartedly offer that to our mentees and everyone we're working with in our lives. And then the last part is really about seeing the good in other people, seeing their gifts. And what I've learned is no one can do it like you, for example, Steve, with your radio show. Um, you have unique qualities, experience, wisdom that comes from a lifetime and no one can acquire the guests that you can. No one can bring out the best in the guests in the way that you can. And it's something that only you can offer. And I think everyone has that inside of them. So as a mentor, it's a matter of bringing that out, recognizing those strengths in another person, focusing on those strengths, helping, helping that person see those strengths for themselves, and then helping them and encouraging them to express those fully in the world. So um, in that question, I think there are those four parts and those are really foundational for the mentoring that I teach. That's awesome. The, uh, you know, I, I can't help but think about as you talk about everyone having their unique gifts and such and the, and, and the stories you just shared about the bird and the hawk that, uh, you know, one of the really cool things in your book is that you share stories and that it brings uh, what you're talking about to life. And I appreciate that. And I hope you got more to share as we're talking. So, uh, 
thank you. My father is a storyteller and my uncle, and I grew up in a home where a lot of wisdom and, and love was shared through stories. Um, so it's part of the way that I teach and communicate too. Awesome. So let's go ahead. And by the way, as I'm reading your book, I, I, I'm moving forward and, uh, and people listening are going to think, boy, you didn't get past the preface in the beginning. And now I'm getting ready to talk about the introduction. So, <laughs> so I love this because I love it when in, in a book that I get trapped inside the beginning. So a lot of times people don't, don't read these areas. And I, and I love to read the pre, any preface or introduction or forward or anything like that. And in the introduction, there's this comment. In the rush to survive the day, we become functionaries rather than real people with thoughts and feelings that matter. And we lose sight of why we're doing what we're doing in the first place. Why should we consider your thoughts when we think about working with kids in schools? Yeah, I've observed this kind of rush. And when I work with groups, I'll often say, raise your hand if you feel busy. <laughs> and a sea of hands go up. And then I'll say, raise your hand if you feel rushed, as if almost something invisible is just pushing you and you're moving from one thing to, to the next and you want to slow down, but you just can't slow down. And everyone again will raise their hand and I'll start to hear some chuckles. And then I'll say, raise your hand if it's mathematically impossible for you to complete your to-do list with the time that you have in the day. And people will laugh and say, yes, that's, that's how I feel. And and then I'll say, how many of us feel overwhelmed and stressed as a result of that situation? And we all have that kind of common bond where uh, information is flying so quickly. Someone could text you. Um, you could receive 10 texts and emails in the span of a minute. And then it could take 10 weeks to follow up on what the emails and texts are asking of us. So <clears throat> we're, you know, most people are very busy. It's just the state of the way things are. And because of this, it would be very easy to get right down into business with people. You know, they, they come into the office or the classroom and you're getting right into procedures and standards and accountability and those things because you feel stressed. And I found that what's fundamental and so important for mentoring and teaching kids and anything in education is to put humanity first. And we have to do this consciously and connect from human to human, from heart to heart, ask each other how we're doing. Um, connect with what's real, what's true within us, connect with what our deeper purpose is. And from there, in friendship, often professional friendship, but that human-to-human -human connection, now we can do our best work together. We're honoring each other as human beings, and that's going to be reflected in everything we do. And kids need our authenticity. So mentoring is for teachers, but it ultimately will filter down into the way we affect kids. And as we're authentic with each other and we give our best that shows them a model for them to be authentic and for them to find their own voice. And like I said at the beginning, when someone really finds their, their own voice, it's irreplaceable. No one can do it in the way that person does. So um, that's the idea of connecting human to human and not allowing ourselves to get into that rush and to, to believe we have to do that and, and follow and live from there. I love it. I, you know, it's funny before we, uh, start recording, we were talking just a little bit and I was telling you about how this re reminded me of as a high school principal, one of the things I wanted to do is try and not, not forget that there are other kids, there's other things going on in the world because you can get so busy as a high school principal. And so I would uh, play in the marching band and also play pickup games of soccer. And it was fun because, you know, it, it not only did the kids let you be 16 and such, then you really started doing what you're talking about, which is connecting with them on another level where, you know, and especially they love it if like in soccer, yeah, I, I was a much better coach than I was a player. And, uh, 
<laughs> and they and they'd help make sure that they set me up so that I could score once in a while. <laughs> you know, it's like hey, yeah. and in 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 band, you know, it's it's just cool because you're up there doing. Uh, I played trumpet, and you're up there with all the trumpets, and you're you're playing and fooling around and being 16. And then lo and behold, I'm the one talking when the band director's trying to talk to everybody. Who's talking up there? Uh, it's him. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. sorry. <laughs> um, you know, it's all that sort of stuff connecting like that. They start seeing as real people. And I, I love, I love this where you're going with that. That's just good stuff. I think that's amazing. I can picture you out there with the kids and sometimes those are the most meaningful moments and teachings. And it's often a lot of times as educators, we think we have to be perfect or we have to have this image of the perfect professional. And it's often in the times where we make a mistake or the times when we're a little bit goofy, that's where we really connect with the, with kids and, that's when the teaching can really shine through and be powerful. So it's great to, to share your humanity and, and connect with kids and colleagues in that way. I love it. I love it. You know, let's, all right. So let's shift gears because your, your book is about uh, mentoring, caring and mentoring. So let's, let's uh, look at mentoring first. What do you mean when you use this word? And could you also share how caring fits within mentoring? Yeah, so for me, mentoring is a more experienced person supporting and guiding a less experienced person. And the idea is to bring out the very best in him or her. And when I first started as a teaching, the mentoring that I received uh, was very much focused on procedures and kind of either you'll complete these, these procedures and you'll continue as a teacher or you won't. These are the requirements. And when I first started at that time, I looked like I was about 12. I've always looked <laughs> a, nice. a little bit older. And... I learned later that some of the administrators had bets on how long I was going to last. Um, Very and nice. this, this is when I started in high school and I was teaching struggling readers. Um, so some of the students were frustrated and, and it was tough. And I actually started on a cart. So I had a few different preps and I was the new guy and I had a cart of all these different textbooks for different classes. And I would go through the crowded halls and, teach my classes. And I guess I did okay that first year because they promoted me to a half portable the next year. (laughs) I was in a portable with a partition and another guy was teaching on the other side. I could hear everything he was saying. (laughs) I was teaching on, on my side. And then after that, I guess things went well because I got my own whole portable. And then the fear I I got built. And I'm sorry, I got to interrupt you. (laughs) So you, you get promoted to a half portable. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and I could, I'm sorry. That's for anybody who is teaching out there, because I was somebody who my first five years of teaching, I floated. All right, I I didn't have a classroom, but I floated from one end of the building to another, and had a little cart, and you had to watch out because I got to get one class to the other. Yes, but I'm not sure I ever had a half room. So, <laughs> man, <laughs> kudos to you for getting promoted out of that. That's that's amazing. sorry. I I'm Thanks. sorry I interrupted you. I had a <laughs> no. That's great. It, it's um, and I I kind of got these different perspectives because I went from the half portable to the whole portable and then to the classroom. And then someone on the school's leadership team had to leave the school or there was something and it was like, well, ask Danny to do it, you know, he'll do it. And that's when I I got onto the leadership team and I started seeing outside of my classroom, how the school worked as a whole. And I started meeting other people. And that was actually when I met, met the person who inspired me to become a school counselor, which was the next step in my journey she was on the leadership team and I just saw the beautiful way she was working with kids and how she was really having an impact. And she told me about her master's program and that started a different part of my journey, but it was this interesting um, widening of perspectives that, that gave me more experiences. 
no, so the other part of the question was, um, was the caring part. Yes. And so during that time, I really could have benefited from some, you know, we're joking around, but it, it was tough uh, going through that, that period of time for me. And a lot of the people that were, were mentoring me, in fact, I was assigned a person very busy, um, you know, heart was in the right place, but just swamped um, with that person's own things and not really able to have a relationship. It was more kind of telling me the things that I needed to do. And it was like, you know, you're on your own. You got to get it done. I can tell you what you need to do. And that was when the seed was planted that where is the, the caring? Because we have so many uh, talented teachers that could do amazing things and they actually don't make it past the first year or two. They leave the profession. And if they just would have that support, they could stay in the profession and even thrive and succeed in, in there. So that, that was really when I started thinking about the need for caring. That's awesome because you are so right. I mean, if you have that person who's going to uh, take the time to really spend some time with you and help you and, and even just to kind of encourage you, you know, it's funny because, it, and, and like you said, I, I'm sorry, I'm making light of it, but I, I'm only making light of it because, oh my gosh, there's got to be plenty, there's plenty of us of, of there out there that have these stories that some people I don't think would you got to be kidding me. You know, <laughs> you're like, no, I'm not kidding you. And you know, it's just like with the, the story I was telling you about with that cart, you know, I, you know, you're traveling from one place to another in that building and you got to get from one room to another so you can get set up and get moving. And, and it was funny. I had a teacher who actually, he, um, he went from, you know, he would work for a year and then he'd go travel the world. Then he'd come back and get a teaching job. And then he'd go do the same thing again. He was single and he was just somebody who did this. And, and uh, so school systems would hire him because of his worldly experiences. Well, as a result, he never had his own classroom. So he had all these different cool skills that he had developed. And so he's, he took me under his wing to show me some different things that helped me deal with that going, coming and going all over the building. And, yeah. and you really need someone to take that caring because like with, he didn't have to. I mean, you know, most of the people in that building didn't even know I was there. Oh, that's the guy with the card, right? Yeah. <laughs> And the thing I love about that, that story that you just told is often the places where we struggle end up being our gifts. So he, he was kind of in a challenging situation, um, not having a consistent, you know, it was by his choice, but not having something consistent, but that challenge actually became a strength. And then he was going to, he was able to relate and have compassion for you and really have some wisdom to share based on what he had gone through, the difficulty he had gone through. So I think that's really important as our journey comes up when these challenges come up, they're really a source of wisdom and strength once we can get through them and get some perspective on them. Most definitely. Most definitely. So let's take a second here to, uh, uh, could you share with everyone why your book is, is different from other books and, and or articles on mentoring? Cause it is different. Thank you. I, I think it's different because it's, it's focused on research, but it's also focused on relationships, the very human side. And the idea is when we sit down with a mentor when we have that time together, what are we going to do? How are we going to relate with that person in a meaningful way, in a loving way, in a powerful way, in an effective way? And I always think of it as every interaction has a beginning, a middle, and an end. So even this interview, so we got on and um, we had the beginning. At some point, we'll have a midpoint. And then at some point, the interview will end. And the thought is, what will take place within that space? What will happen with that precious time we have? Will we do something that will have lasting value? Will we be our true selves? And that's what the book is about. It's about really learning to care for another person as a foundation for the work. 
And as I was saying, my first time in high school was that story. But my first time in teaching in general, I started as a PE teacher. And I started in an inner city school. And when I went for the interview, I looked even younger at that time. And I had really prepared for this interview. It was my first job. And I was reading articles about how to do well in an interview and just preparing the best I could. So I got in there. Um, the principal was asking me questions. I was giving my very best answers. And as I was talking, and even at the end of the interview, I felt like I really gave my best. But as I was looking at her, she was kind of looking at me like, that's really sweet. You know, I'm not going to hire you. But, you know, that was, that was really cute. So the interview was over and I started walking out. And as I took a few steps, I kind of stopped. I was just called to stop. And I said, I turned to her and I said, if you give me a chance, I'm not going to let you down. I know I can do this. And she smiled. And sure enough, the next day she called me up and said, Daniel, everybody deserves a chance. So you're our, you're our new PE teacher. Um, so I ended up going there my first day and I really wanted to prove myself. So I had on my best collared shirt and a new clipboard, um, all of my uh, college textbooks I brought with me and I planned this lesson. And what I wanted to do is just get a this activity established in the class. And I started with a fifth grade class, many of whom were bigger than I was. And so I had stations. I had a jump rope station, a hula hoop station, and a basketball station. And I explained the directions and why exercise is important and talked about the skills. And all of a sudden I look out and we've got girls hula hooping and jump roping together. And we've got boys playing basketball and everybody's having a good time and they're exercising. And I, my chest kind of pops out and it's like, I'm, I'm really doing this. I, you know, this is, this is going well. And it went well until it was time to stop and bring everybody in. So I said, okay, everybody, let's bring in the equipment and line up. So of course the girls, they brought in the hula hoops and the jump ropes and they got in line and there was a group of boys again, who were taller than I was, they kept playing basketball. So I said, maybe they didn't hear me. So I kind of deepened my voice and I, I said, all right, guys, let's come on in. Let's bring it in. It's time to go and they kept playing. So then I stepped toward them and then in my most powerful voice, I said, okay, we, re we need to bring this in, let's go. And the ringleader of the group kind of stopped and he had the basketball under his arm and he was kind of staring me down. Um, so I didn't know what to do. I kind of stared him down and it was, it was like a showdown. So now the, the class is listening, uh, watching and listening. And I said, let's bring the balls in right now and get in line. And so he took the ball and he took kind of a, a crow hop in baseball and he just heaved the ball onto the top of the roof of the school. And then his friends saw that and now everyone's gasping and his friends throw their basketballs up there. And then they proceeded to throw the jump ropes and the hula hoops up there. So all the equipment is on the roof. Nice. And so I finally get them lined up and they go back in and I teach the rest of the day. I have some younger kids. And so after the school that day, I go into the principal's office and you know, I knock on the door and she invites me in. I sit down and I say, I kind of had a rough day. And she says, oh, Daniel, you know, honey, everybody has a rough day on their first day. You know, you can't expect that things are going to go smooth. And I said, well, I don't think you understand. All of your PE equipment is on the roof. So, <laughs> so you know, she chuckled a bit and she said, well, I'm not surprised that you had that kind of experience because you can't expect to come into a school where there's challenges and just teach right off the bat. You can't expect that everyone's just going to listen to you just because you have the title of teacher. You have to build relationships with people. You have to really know them. You have to know their needs. They have to know you. And that really made a difference. As I drove home that day, I thought about it 
the whole way. And next day I started posting myself outside in front of the school. I welcomed in kids. I welcomed in families. I volunteered to be a football coach at the park where a lot of the boys played football. I went to church events. I really spent the next few weeks getting to knowing, know people. And sure enough, over time, it was like, Hey, you know, that's coach Shapiro. You know, you know, I know him. He's been at my church. He's been out on the football field. You know, he knows what position my, uh, my sister plays on the softball team. And they started listening to me and I was actually able to, to teach a lot better, even with those older kids. And that made a huge impression on me. That was a big example of mentoring. And from then on, I always put relationships first. I focus on relationships. And that's really what this book is about, is how to have a relationship where you can really connect sincerely with your mentee and bring out the best from there. I love it. I love it. And, I, and I'm glad you told that story because it, you tell it in the book and, it, and you feel the emotions that you had to have been going through that day. <laughs> I mean, it just everything's going awesome. And then you, you got to go in and the next thing you know, everything's on the roof. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and actually then the response of your principal is amazing too. Cause you're probably thinking, yeah, I'm done. And instead <laughs> that's not what she says. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. So, well, let, let's get into the five practices of the carry mentor. Number one is carry mentors practice active listening to make a sincere connection with their mentees. Number two, carry mentors create a safe place for authentic expression. Number three, caring mentors devote themselves to their mentees' growth. Number four, caring mentors share the perspectives and insights with their mentees. And number five, caring mentors act on behalf of their mentees. Let's look at a couple of these by starting with number one. Why is active listening important and what's this look like? Well, I, I'm starting to call it authentic listening now as, the, as these ideas start to evolve. And authentic listening is really the foundation of caring because when we listen, when we really listen to someone, we can connect. And when we connect, we can begin to actually understand the person and understand their needs and then we can relate to them best. So what it looks like is we put everything else aside. And in that moment, that person is the most important person in the world and it's the most important moment in the world. And we listen with our whole hearts, we listen with our whole mind, and we listen with our full attention. And one of the things, we're all human, so as we're talking, um, one of the things I've, I've noticed that in myself and others is that our mind starts to wander. You know, so we're, we're talking about listening authentically and you know, not thinking about our, our own response, but just completely giving ourselves over to the other person and trying to understand them. And the mind inevitably will wander. And a great example that I heard from a meditation teacher is you can look at it as a puppy on a mat. So we're trying to train this puppy to stay on the mat. And of course, we, the mat's a square and we put the puppy right in the middle of that square and inevitably the, the puppy's going to wander off and we don't yell at the puppy. We don't, we're not harsh with it. We don't get mad. We, re we recognize that it's its nature to move that way. So we gently pick the puppy up and put it back on the mat. And then of course, it's going to wander off again. And we gently pick the puppy up and loving, lovingly put it back on the mat. And it's that way with listening. So when we notice our mind wanders, someone says something and we start to think, I wonder what I'm going to get to lunch for lunch today. Or that reminds <laughs> me of something that happened to me. And we just notice that we gently bring our attention back to the present moment. And we just, with all of our respect, with all of our kindness, we offer the fullness of our listening to them. And I found with listening that when someone's struggling, it's usually not some magic words that we're going to say, that we're going to say some formula and these perfect words are going to make things better. It's our genuine presence with them. It's the fact that we're listening to them. And it's as if to say with our listening, we're saying, you're not alone. I'm right here with you. 
we're going to go through this together. I may not have all the answers, but I'm tuned in and we're going to go through this together. So that's, that's where listening is foundational. We, we can connect and then learn to understand the person and their needs, and then we can really help them. Excellent. I, you know, it's one of the things that happens in so many different types of conversations and, and people, I really believe mean well, it's just that we do start thinking sometimes about what we're going to say next. And, and, and yeah. you know, and it's one of those things where you kind of have to smack yourself and say, stop doing that and, and just listen and get involved you know, and let's go where this goes. And, you know, cause I, I think it's just, what you're talking about there is such a big part of really that connecting with somebody and developing the relationship as they realize you really are listening <laughs> and uh, good stuff. Number two is caring mentors create a safe place for authentic expression. Why is it important to let the mentees be free to be themselves? And, you know, just as a note, I, I got to tell you that it was, it was hard. I'm, it, it sounds like, all right, yeah, I'm not just going to talk about a couple of them. I'm going to go one through five, but I'm not, <laughs> but it, I do want you to know that it was difficult to not do that because, you know, just they're, they're all very important. So I do want you to realize, I see how the importance of them all. So yeah. I, I, I just don't want to hurt any of their feelings. All right. I just, <laughs> very so, caring. That's very caring. Thanks. So let's, let's get back to what I was saying. Caring mentors create a safe place for authentic expression. Why is it important to let the mentees be free to be themselves? Cause I love this. Well, it's, it's so important for them to know that they can really be themselves as they are. And when that happens, they're going to express themselves honestly. So we can get to the truth of what's going on with them, what their situation is. Um, I remember when I was a beginning school counselor, the school counseling director would come out to the school and I had this feeling of being evaluated. And during that time, all I could think was, I just want to stay out of trouble. Let me make sure all my papers are in order. Let me just get through this visit. And that's the exact opposite of what we're trying to do with this book and, and, and in our mentoring is that we want people to know I'm not here to judge you in any way. Um, you know, life has brought, brought me down to my knees many times. I've had many difficulties. I'm here to see where you are and see how I can best help and support you. And when that happens, then you can have someone say, you know, Danny, I don't even know how to log into this area that I have to go into. And it can, okay, we'll start from right there and we can get them going. And then there's this honest relationship. And when they have a safe place, I think it opens the door for the knowledge and the, the, sub, the substantial work that needs to take place. I remember for my mom's 70th birthday, um, we took her to New York, which is where she's from. And we had a couple of days where we just said, you know, please pick a few things that you really want to do from when you were younger and we'll take you there. It was my father, my brother, and my mom. And one of the things she wanted to do is go to this deli that she really loved when she was a kid. And so we get to the deli and it's crowded and it's bustling and people are arguing and, and uh, enjoying themselves and laughing, just the whole um, panorama of human life. And my dad and my brother go up to get the food and I'm standing back with my mom. And all of a sudden, I, I notice out of the corner of my eye, I see something happening. And this woman faints and falls right into my mom's arms. So my mom's holding her. So I run over. I moved a chair out of the way. And I got uh, behind the woman. I put my arms under hers. And she was out. She was completely out. So I just gently kneeled down and brought her to the floor. And I had my hands under her head. And I can still feel the cold tile on the back of my hands. And she had frizzy hair. And I could feel the frizzy hair on, on my palms. And she was out, and just like in the movies, I said, call 911. Uh, 
a few moments later, she opened her eyes and the first thing she saw was me looking down at her upside down. And I just felt myself drawn to saying, everything's going to be okay. You're not alone here. Um, we're going to get you some help. Everything's going to be okay. And I could see her kind of relax in that moment. And it wasn't long before someone came over who was a paramedic in street clothes who just happened to be there. And he did some of the technical things like take her pulse and check some of her vital signs, you know, some of those very specific things and brought her back to well-being. And before long, she was okay. And as I was reflecting on that, um, I saw that the head and the heart had equally important parts in that. So my role in it was to help her to relax, to let her know she was safe, to let her know that she could be herself and take a deep breath. And I think that allowed her to be receptive when the paramedic came in and gave those very concrete, um, technical, knowledge-based things. Um, but I think she needed that ability to relax. And then, of course, she needed that technical um, substance that the paramedic gave her. So I look at mentoring that way too. We create a, a safe place where the person can relax and really be themselves. And then we have a space in which we can give those skills and, and work on those technical issues and in a way that's effective. That's excellent. It, you know, it's, it, it, I think too often, just like what you said in the beginning where it, it might feel like it's an evaluation or something like that. That's the unfortunate part of someone who may not really understand their role as a mentor is that it shouldn't feel that way. You should be able to say, you know, cause I had, I had a boss who'd say things like, you know, he'd come in and you know, he wanted it to be that type of relationship, but it really wasn't because what he'd do is at the end of, once you started saying something, whatever, you, know, you could pour your heart out to him and he'd say, well, anyway, and, you know, that's life or, you know, he had these little phrases that he'd say and he goes, you know, yeah, let's just move on from that. Okay. And then he did talk and you go like, well, that was good. That was, <laughs> thanks. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we'll move on from there. So, oh, good stuff. The, uh, in, this, in, the, in this practice of the caring mentor, you also talk about the importance of being available, dependable, and able to maintain confidentiality. Can you share a little bit about this? This is coming out of that, that uh, number two uh, practice. Yes. This is some of the practical side of mentoring, the practical ways of building trust. So it's genuinely being there for your mentee, being accessible for them. And it's following through with your word. It's under promising and then over delivering. Uh, it's being a safe place for them to be themselves and it's keeping things confidential. And of course, just like with any counseling or teaching, if, if someone happened to say something about hurting themselves or others, then we'd immediately take, take action. But under, under normal circumstances, we're keeping that confidentiality, we're allowing them to make mistakes, we're allowing them to show the different sides of themselves. And then from there, we can really work with the issues that are there. Because when people are hiding those things and they're not letting it fly, a lot of times we, we don't really get to the core of things. And if they don't feel that things are gonna be confidential and that they have someone who's honorable and has integrity and is gonna hold uh, a safe space for them to be themselves, then that they won't really let themselves go and be honest. So this is critical. And it's making sure that we're scheduling time. And this requires, we'll talk about this later, support from administration and a mentoring program that really honors the importance of mentoring and provides time for mentors to, to take the time needed to help their mentees. Excellent. So you know, one of the things, and one of the things I want to do now is for a second, get, get into just the formatting of your book. Because one of the things, Daniel, that I really love is that at the end of each chapter uh, of the practices, you have a section called Suggestions for. 
And then the, you kind of finish the phrase then. And, it, and, it's, and, you know, could you talk about how this came about and what its purpose is? Because this is really cool. It helps, you know, it helps you to kind of it, go back and think about what you just read, what, what uh, you know, uh, what you're talking about in the book. And uh, as a reader, it really helps you refocus. Can you just talk a little bit about this? Yeah, thank you. I wanted a couple of, of general things for the book. One is I wanted the book to be deeply inspiring and educative, but I also wanted it to be practical and user-friendly. So these um, suggestions are very specific advice, tips, um, guidance for putting caring into concrete practice. So at the end of the chapter, after you've heard the stories and, and hopefully been touched emotionally and gotten some education about the concept, here's what you can do about it. And they're very specific suggestions for putting it into practice. Well, kudos for you for putting that in there because that is that is a neat. It causes that reflection. It causes you to think about it, and uh, I, I really like that. You just don't bring it to an end. You you have that um, kind of re you know let's let's wrap up those thoughts type thing. And I just love the way it is. It's suggestions for, and then lead us down that path, which is cool. So good stuff. Okay. Not that I don't like the other practices. But my favorite is number five. <laughs> this is what I mean. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip ahead to number five here. And uh, you have to apologize to three and four for me skipping over them. But I, but I really, uh, my favorite is five. Caring mentors act on behalf of their mentees. Let's talk about this just a little bit. Where are you going yeah, with that? Yeah, so caring, it's not just limited to speaking and listening and the feeling part. It's, it's also very practical. Uh, when I did my dissertation, I interviewed individual new, new teachers and then experienced teachers. And I did focus groups with new teachers and focus groups with experienced teachers. And I really wanted to know what does caring mean to you? How do you experience caring? And one of the themes was it's the actions that people take for other people. And in teaching and mentoring, a lot of times it's lesson planning together. It's preparing your mentee's classroom together. It's advocating and providing opportunities. It may be standing up for your mentee in, in a staff meeting or in the teacher's lounge. It's very concrete, practical action. And in the book, I have checklists. And one thing I like to do when I mentor and I, and I teach this is that going over the five practices before you enter a mentoring session to reorient yourself. And then afterwards, looking back and reflecting, did I include each of those? And I found that a real mentoring session that's effective isn't complete unless you've taken some kind of real action. You've translated the conversation and the listening and the feelings into something concrete that will help them very directly. So that's where that comes from. Um, when I'm, one of the ways that I go over this concept in workshops or when I'm teaching is using playing catch as a metaphor for caring. And I love to play catch with my own kids and I see it as a metaphor for caring because when you're throwing the ball to someone, you want to throw it to them in a way that they can receive it. You want to make sure it's not too fast or too low or too far to one side. And as you're doing that, you're also adjusting. So if you throw one too high, you won't make the same mistake twice. They weren't able to receive it in that way. So you're going to make it a little lower and same thing with left and right. So as you're taking action for some, uh, for your mentees, you're looking and seeing, is this effective? Is this helping them? You know, as an example, um, if someone said, Daniel, I really love you, so I'm going to give you the freshest mango right off my tree, and you kind of throw it over to me and say, here it is. You know, I really hope you enjoy it. And I'm allergic to mangoes, so if I catch it, I'm going to break out. And so someone who's loving me or caring for me is going to notice, okay, so mangoes isn't the best thing to give Daniel. I'm, I'm going to find what lands with him, what, what he can receive that's really going to be helpful. 
So with, with taking action, we want to make sure in the first place that we are taking action, and then we want to make sure that we're adjusting the actions we take to make sure they can receive it in the most beneficial way. That's great stuff. I, 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 I like that. I love your story about the, the catching. I mean, I, you know, just, uh, just being there for uh, your, your mentee is so important and recognizing what they, um, what's part of them, what's not part of them, how they can do, how they can respond. Just, that's just great stuff. And I love that, uh, that image though of the catching and the mango thing. Yes. If you, if I kind of go, Oh, Hey, hopefully the other person goes, so there's a problem there, huh? <laughs> not, <laughs> not that they take offense to it. You know, Gee whiz, I was giving you a mango. Here's another one. Try it again, you know? <laughs> so four more, maybe. <laughs> All right. <Yeah>. Anyway, <laughs> um, sometimes that happens in, you know, throwing catch. That's why I, that, you just had me thinking about that. Yes. All right. If I didn't catch the first two, maybe there's a problem here. I'm not seeing that ball or something. All right. Can we yes. I like that. So, so let's talk about chapter six, chapter six. Now we're getting out of the practices and we're getting into some really cool um, real world sort of things that are happening here. And this one is overcoming barriers to care in the mentor, the mentoring relationship. One of the aspects of this chapter that I love is the section about overcoming the challenges of insufficient time, because we all know there's always somebody who's going to say, I don't have time. <laughs> and you're going to say, oh, yes, you do. <laughs> so can you share a little bit about this? Yeah, that's one of the key points of the book, because we, we'd love to live in a world where we can care and it's free flowing and it's always working, but the truth is um, things are not always uh, harmonious. Things are not always lined up in a way that, um, that are easy. And one of the biggest challenges is time. And so with time, I have uh, parts in the book that really talk about scheduling. And there's informal meetings where you're checking in and just staying in touch and staying connected, and there's formal meetings. And so I really suggest having a very conscious and thorough conversation about when the mentor and mentee are available and how you can get uh, get together because if that's not in place um, all of the best intentions in the world and, and all of the caring and heart in the world won't find a place to land unless there's sufficient time to, to connect so that's working with administration that's working together and really prioritizing mentoring and saying we're gonna take this time for it and really put all of our attention on it Excellent. The, uh, cause I, I think it's just a matter of showing people that you can do this and you give them great advice and suggestions. So good stuff. And, you know, just like I talked about chapter six, I gotta, I gotta talk about chapter eight and, and it's, and it's that you get into this, the chapter eight is titled the importance of self care for mentors. And in this chapter, you say serving as a caring mentor requires a great deal of energy and focus on other people to be effective. And the next sentence starts with, if we neglect to care for ourselves. And what I'd like you to do is just kind of complete that thought there because this is very powerful, I think. And I think it's, you know, it is exhausting being, if you're really being true to the idea of mentoring and caring, it's, it can be a little exhausting. So can you finish that thought there? Yeah, when we neglect to care for ourselves, we don't have what it is, what's needed inside to give to other people. When we're depleted, we don't have what's needed to, to help other people. So we have to make sure that we're filled. We have to make sure that we're nourished. And I teach an internship class where students are doing a full-time internship and then they're taking classes at night. And one of my students came to me after class and she was just exhausted. She was depleted um, and she was really feeling it. And she asked me, you know, what can I do? 
And I just found myself saying, ask yourself the question, what would someone who has compassion for herself do in this situation? And that really struck her. And she kind of stepped back and, and realized that as teachers and counselors, we're often compassionate to everyone else, but we don't extend that same compassion to ourselves. And one of the exercises I do is when I'm, when I'm working with mentors, is I'll say, let's take a deep breath and, and settle down. And I want you to imagine a person that you truly love and care about, a person that if they were ever upset, you would just run to them and give them the biggest hug, um, a person who when you see them, your heart melts, where you just, you see the sweetness of life in them and you just love them and you have that tender feeling. So I want you just to hold that image of that person in your mind and in your heart. And when you think about this person, would you ever say to this person um, when she's exhausted, you keep pushing through? It doesn't matter that you're exhausted. You need to keep going and you need to keep going and going and going. And it really doesn't matter how you feel. You need to get this done. And, and if they were hungry and in need of nourishment, would you say, no, you don't eat. You keep working through and you can eat later, but you, the work's more important. And would you say to them, if they needed to use the restroom, would you say, no, you wait and don't use the restroom until all of your work is done? And inevitably, you know, people say, I, I would never say this to that person, but how many times do we do that for ourselves? Um, it's so common for teachers, so common for counselors, anyone in education. Um, we're exhausted and we just push ourselves through and, and, and push beyond limits that are compassionate to ourselves. A lot of us um, don't eat anything during the day or we take a few bites um, and, and just kind of survive the day. And it's very common for teachers. You, know, you have to go to the restroom in the morning and you, you never end up going until after school because one thing after the, after the next comes up. Um, so it's extending that same compassion that we would extend to someone um, we love and care about um, that we're in relationship to ourselves. And another approach I take is I say, picture that same person that you have those tender loving feelings for. And how many hours a week of nourishment, of joy, of something um, for their well-being would you grant them? Would you, would you allow them? And people will say, you know, se several hours was as much as, I, as much as possibly could. And then I'll say, well, how many hours of self-care do you give yourself per week? And often it's zero or just one hour. And there's a big difference between the numbers that we would give in self-care to, to that person we love and to ourselves. And so what I do is I invite people to first identify what is it that nourishes your well-being? What is it that brings you joy, that, that fills you up, that makes you feel most yourself? And it could be little things like your favorite tea or listening to your favorite music or other things like going on a certain trip or doing a certain activity. And I say, really write those down, three to five of them, and be very clear about what those activities are that truly make you feel better. And then schedule those into your week. And I'll often say, how many people uh, brushed their teeth today? And of course, people will laugh and say, we all did. And I'll say, well, how many people bathed recently? And they'll laugh and say, we all did. And the point that I make is that those things are non-negotiable. We're all going to find time to brush our teeth and we're all going to find time to bathe. That's just something we're going to do. So can we make self-care that important? Because if we love someone and we want to do well for them, um, we've got to be at our best. We have to be filled up. So it's our own self-respect and then it's our ability to care for others that requires this self-care. And I found this to be something that's really effective in getting people to identify what helps them in this way and then make it a part of their schedule. 
I love that because that is something that in it. And by the way, just when you said just a minute ago, you know, you asked them, so you do, you do all these other things, but uh, how much health, how much self care do you do for yourself? And probably the first response you get is, uh, uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are you talking about me? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I think about some of the best teachers I've had who, um, they were like that very much. So they took care of everybody else and you could tell when their powers were draining and, you know, it's, it's like, come on, you got to do something you like. I mean, I, you know, and, uh, re- recharge those batteries. So it's a powerful chapter. Thank you. It's, it's a very common trait in educators that they, they love other people. They're passionate and, and often they're, they're so enthusiastic and so focused on others that we, we sometimes neglect to care for ourselves. Good stuff. So before we go, if someone wanted to connect further with you, where would you send them? The best place, and thank you for that, is danielhshapiro.com. And so that's D-A-N-I-E-L-H-S-H-A-P-I-R-O.com. And that's my website. It's a place for links where people can purchase the book. And my passion is speaking and training and telling stories and mentoring. So you can find details about my services, my speaking engagements and training on the site as well. And I always love to engage with people and and work on caring and mentoring and, and bringing caring into mentoring and education in general. And people can contact me at my email, which is contact at danielhshapiro.com. So I really look forward to hearing from people and engaging with people. Excellent. And I will have that in the show notes as well, those links there. And, uh, and by the way, you also have a really cool YouTube channel. You want to say anything about your YouTube channel? Ah, uh, thank you very much. Uh, yeah, I, I try to put uh, things in the channel about social and emotional learning, uh, guided meditations, thoughts about education, thoughts about caring, thoughts about mentoring. So it's a place where I can express my passion and share some of the things that are on my mind and in my heart and um, one of the things that is most meaningful to me is really speaking from my heart to the hearts of others. And they say the voice is the messenger of the heart. So the YouTube channel is another way um, of doing that, of, of connecting with others in that way. Excellent. And I'll have that link in the show notes as well, as well as you can find that through um, Daniel's uh, website at danielhshapiro.com. So last two questions, and these are questions I just like to ask. If you had a chance to talk with school administrators, what would you share with them about establishing a mentor program for staff? Thank you. Always start with your deeper purpose. Start with your why and really take the time to, to reflect and feel what is it that you want to accomplish with your mentoring program? Why is it important to you? What's your vision? That is foundational. That's going to give you the energy and the clarity of purpose that's going to help you succeed. So I always start there. Um, And then establish caring as the foundation. That's really the heart and soul of my book is that it's caring. So we want to find mentors who want to be mentors who really care about education, care about their colleagues, care about children. We're looking for those people that have the heart for this. And those are the people who are going to succeed most um, in a caring mentoring approach. Um, And then make mentoring a priority. So as an administrator or a leader in a school, it's, Um, focusing on that this is something that's important and this is going to really help our teachers and thereby help our kids and find out what teachers needs are. How can we schedule time in a way that's going to honor this? How can we make this sustainable? How can we make sure that each week we're able to have meaningful conversations between mentors and mentees? So that's the practical aspect of, 
of really scheduling it. And also I consult about this. So if you're interested in building a mentoring program and would like some consultation on it, that I'm someone you can contact. And um, that's my passion to help build structures for this so that caring can really thrive. Excellent. Excellent. Last question. Do you have a teacher in your past who made a difference in your life? If so, who was it? And what would you say if given the chance to say thank you? Uh, thank you. I do. It's Mr. Carney. And he was my principal um, in one of the schools where I was a school counselor. And I would say, Mr. Carney, thank you for truly believing in me. Thank you for caring about me as a person first. Thank you for seeing the best in me and helping me see it in myself. And thank you for opening doors for me. Uh, Mr. Carney always told me, you know, Danny, I want to get you in front of as many people as possible. I, I really want you to share your gift and share your passion. And he would open doors in the school for me to get into classrooms and do assemblies. He would connect me with resources in the district to get out and do speak, uh, speaking and training. But he, he really believed in me and so much so that he took action to connect me with opportunities to share. So I, I wouldn't be here talking if it wasn't for Mr. Carney and how caring he is. So a huge thank you to Mr. Carney. Excellent. Thank you so much for sharing. Daniel, thank you so much for talking with me today. I've enjoyed it. The five practices of a caring mentor strengthening the mentoring relationship from the inside out is timely and a book that anyone who has the potential of being a mentor should read. You know, and I got to tell you, the stories bring it to life. You know, kudos on the stories and the way it's structured. And I love it. It's awesome. Um, wishing you the best in all you do. Thank you so much. I love being here with you and the listeners. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is excited to be a member of Voice Ed Radio. Voice Ed Radio, your voice is right here. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. Podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. The opinions expressed on Teaching Learning Leading K-12 are those of the guests and hosts, Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is intended to share ideas, advice, and suggestions for classroom teachers and school administrators. Teaching Learning Leading K-12 is produced for educational purposes. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll share it with your friends. Hey, have you got some thoughts, questions, or ideas? I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me through my email at stephenmiletto at gmail.com. Stephen spelled with a V, and Mileto is M-I-L-E-T-T-O. And that's at gmail.com. Or if you're in the United States or Canada, you can call my Google Voice number at 478-353-5471. Love to hear from you. Thanks. Take care now.